Hello, faith community. Welcome to Reading Through the New Testament in a Year. We find ourselves today in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me read verse 1. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Have you ever tried to get rid of something that just is sticking to you? Uh, maybe a hair? You ever, you ever like washed your hands and then had a hair stuck to it and you can't get it off? Or maybe a hair like stuck to your face or, or something that's sticky and you grab it and you pull it off and it gets stuck, stuck to your other hand? I, I think that sometimes we feel like that when we read something like this. Get rid of these things. Get rid of malice. Get rid of envy. Just stop that. No more hypocrisy. No more deceit. And the harder we try to shake it off, the, the more it sticks to us. How do we do it? How do we get rid of these things? Really, the only way you can eliminate these things from your life is when you remind yourself, these aren't the clothes I wear anymore. These clothes don't fit me anymore. I'm a new creation. I wear royal robes. I don't clothe myself in malice. I don't clothe myself in envy. I don't clothe myself in deceit. I want to I challenge you to a gospel practice, to proclaiming the good, good news to yourself when you find yourself facing temptation. And, and what I mean by that is this. Let, let's look at this first one, malice. When you're tempted to feel malice, say this, I am not malicious in Christ. You see, in Christ, you're not malicious. Why? Because Christ in it isn't. When you're walking in him, when you're walking in abject dependence upon him, that's not who you are. That's not who your inner man is any longer. You've been recreated. You've been regenerated. When you feel tempted to be envious, remind yourself, I'm not envious in Christ. When you feel yourself tempted to deceive, remind yourself, that's not who I am anymore. You see, the problem is oftentimes we think those clothes really fit. Those clothes are comfortable. That's who I am. When we believe that's our identity, that's what you're going to wear. When you recognize that's not who I am anymore. That's not how I dress anymore. Those aren't the clothes that I put on anymore. This is what I wear. I clothe myself in righteousness. I clothe myself in the robes that God has provided for me, in the riches he's provided to me through Jesus Christ. That's what I want. And, and that's where Peter goes next. He says this in verse 2 and 3. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. The cure for believing you desire sin is remembering you desire milk. You see, we believe sometimes that we want what's going to kill us, what's not going to cause us to grow, what's going to stunt our growth, what's going to hurt us. And the reality is what you really want is you want the pure milk of the word. This is what your soul is craving for. And this is something you grow in. Something is, salvation is something you grow in as you taste the goodness of the Lord. If you're struggling to desire the pure milk of the word, pray this prayer. Lord, help me to taste your goodness. Lord, help me to taste your goodness. You can taste and see the Lord is good. Ask him for that. He'll give you that blessing and you'll grow in your desire to taste of his goodness. Peter goes on, he says this in verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what 
Peter's doing here is he's describing the church, and he's describing the church as all of these living stones built into this spiritual house. So I want you to sort of picture what's happening here. You, you're a temple of God, but how we make up that temple of God is all these individual stones added together. None of us is a temple in and of himself, all by himself. A stone needs other stones. We all need each other, and we all need the cornerstone the foundation. And Peter describes further here, that's the stumbling stone, the stone of offense. Israel tripped over that stone. Why? Because they wanted to save themselves by their own works. And we recognize this. We need him to save us. We need him to sanctify us. We need him to glorify us. We need him every step along the way. Where we are also, I love this, he describes us as holy priests. He says, you are a holy priesthood. And because of that, you're, you're sanctified. You're set apart to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. You are a holy priesthood. He says this in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not only are we priests, but we're a royal priesthood. We're kings and queens in the kingdom of God. That's who we are. As you recognize that identity, you're going to begin to spurn those clothes you used to wear. That's not who I am anymore. That's why he says this, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. We're strangers here, but I want you to notice this. These sinful desires wage war against our soul. These are foreign enemies who want to make inroads into our life. Make war on sin. We have to have a wartime mentality. And the way that we have a wartime mentality is we say, no, you won't pass. You don't get in here. This, you are not allowed here anymore. This is the battle line I've drawn in the sand. You cannot cross this. This is, this is war. This is what we're engaged in. And, and the weapons of our warfare, Paul says this, he says they're effective for pulling down strongholds. You have what you need, and you base it on this, your identity in Christ. That's the foundation you start from. Those are foreign enemies. They are not who you are, and you treat them as such. They will not be allowed to have inroads into your soul. He says this in verse 13, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those set, sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Now, I want you to notice this. He says you submit to human authorities as to the Lord. What, it, what does that look like? It looks like us recognizing that as human authorities are raised up, God is sovereign. God is over them. And so he describes this in the next couple of verses. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of the consciousness of God, someone endures grief with, from suffering unjustly. 
Now, this is important because he says this. It brings favor because of your conscience towards God. You endure grief from suffering unjustly. What he's saying here is sometimes the principalities and the powers here on the earth, the governing authorities are going to oppress you. They're going to come against you. But you have treasure in heaven if you endure that suffering because of your conscience because of what God has convicted you of. What he's showing us here is that God is a higher authority than earthly authorities. Now, it is integral that we make a distinction between preference and conscience. Conscience comes from God's word. I'm reading God's word, and I'm convicted by God's word that I need to have this practice. I need to observe this. I need to not do this. I need to abstain from this. And my conviction is based upon God's word. My preference is, well, that's icky. I don't like that. That rubs me the wrong way. I don't know if that's okay or not. That's my preference. There's a difference between preference and conviction. This really is was brought to bear with meat sacrificed to idols in the early church. There were some people who, if they ate that, it would have been sin. Paul said, whatever is not of faith is sin. If you eat that and your conscience, you're convicted, this is wrong. It's sin. There's other people who looked at it and they said, it's just meat. It's not a big deal. It doesn't, it's nothing. It's just food and it's not going to make me impure. I can receive it. And so that wasn't sin to them. What's important is what is your conscience telling you? What is God convicting you of? And how are you basing that on God's word? With meat sacrificed to idols, if they read the story of Daniel, they could have seen there. Daniel was willing to stand up to Nebuchadnezzar and say, I do not want to eat this. Give me an opportunity just to eat vegetables and water. And and Nebuchadnezzar honored that and God protected him for that. He was true to his conscience. And it's important to do this. True conviction is always biblically based, but don't do this. Don't start with your preference and try to move it to conviction by source texting. And what I mean by that is don't start with, okay, there's this thing about our society I don't like. Let me see if I can prove from Scripture that this is wrong. No, your conviction comes from God's Word. This is why we need to be in God's Word all the time. So we're not searching a way to prove from the text. We have convictions that are coming out of God's word. They're already in place. They've already been there. This is so important with the the times that we're facing right now is there's decisions where people are genuinely convicted that accepting the COVID-19 vaccine would be wrong and they shouldn't do that. It would be sin if they do that because their conscience is convicting them based on scripture. And then there's other people who see it and they say, I don't see any scriptural emphasis here. I believe we have freedom to take this. I believe that God can use this to protect us from this disease and they can take it. And there's freedom there and there's different conclusions. And God designed the church to work that way because we can have unity across a diversity of even convictions. And so it's so important that your conscience is what's driving you and it's built upon the word of God. He goes on, he says this, verse 21, for you are called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I want you to understand this. I say this often. Jesus suffered so that we would know how to. Jesus also suffered 
so that we wouldn't have to. And we see both of those in this passage. So first thing we see in verses 21 through 23 is Christ suffered so that we would know how to. So what does he show us about suffering for righteousness sake? First thing, he did not suffer because of sin. Now, now they made these accusations against him, and those accusations were based on their civil laws that Jesus had broken. He had not observed their Sabbath. But what Jesus showed is it's better to do good on the Sabbath. It's fine to heal on the Sabbath because that doing good that God had called him to was more important than their traditions and their civil magistrate and the rules that he had set up that prevented people from helping others. Jesus said, loving your neighbor is a higher command. I must obey that command first. The next thing that we see is he did not try to deceive. He didn't try to manipulate people with his words. He didn't try to get them to believe his side and attack the other side. He did not trade insult for insult. Do you see that? Jesus wasn't insulting people. If you have truth and you are trying to share your truth by insulting other people, you're wrong. Even if what you're saying is right, you're wrong because you're insulting other people. Christians should not insult other people. Our world makes it so easy to deliver an insult. We type it out, we tweet it, we post it, and it's there for all the world to see that we are not Christ-like in our suffering. Those who are Christ-like in their suffering, they don't insult when they're persecuted. That's not how they respond. That's not how Christ responded. And further, it says he made no threats when he was suffering. He wasn't saying, you're going to get yours. You're going to be judged. He wasn't doing that. He didn't make threats. How was he? He was silent as a sheep is before its shear as he went to the cross. Why was he able to do that? Because he showed who he was trusting. He was trusting himself to the Father. Christ suffered so we'd know how to. Here's the example. But Christ also suffered so we wouldn't have to. We see this in verse 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ suffered so we wouldn't have to. The death he died, we will not have to die. The wounds that were opened upon him were in our place. We are healed by his sacrifice. Now, he died also so that we would die with him. Do you see? He, having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. We die to sins with Jesus. We die with him. He was wounded so we could be healed. And his death, what did it do? Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all people to myself. We're drawn to Christ because of this manifestation of the perfect love of God. There is no greater manifestation of love upon the face of the earth than Christ giving his life, drinking up the cup of God's wrath in our place to redeem for himself a people for his possession. And now we go to him as what? Our shepherd and our overseer, our Lord, our master, the savior of our souls. This is who we follow. This is who you are. This is your identity. Recreated royalty, a royal priesthood. Live like it. Thank you so much for listening today.